on Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1. Streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. You're listening to The Jam Price Show, and today my guest is award-winning editor David Hines, and we are going to be talking about the brand new movie that has been out for a little bit, The Call of the Wild, starring Harrison Ford. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you so much, Jan. Happy to be here. Great to have you on the show. What? I, I, first of all, I have to tell you, I really... Uh, I did enjoy this movie much more than I thought I would, uh, to be honest, and it did make me cry. Um, and um, and we're kind of from Jack London country here, um, but I, the it was amazing. I mean, the animatronics, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that. I mean, they were really truly um, amazing. So, how difficult was it for you to edit a film with so much uh, CGI? in it as this one it was yeah it was a huge challenge i mean it it took quite a bit of imagination to edit a film like this you have to realize that the not only is the main character of the film entirely computer generated but we didn't film it in the yukon we filmed it in california so basically all of the background and vistas and Almost everything you see in the distance is computer generated as well. So it takes a lot of imagination to sort of edit a film like this together having so little of the finished product available to you as you're doing it. I can't even imagine what that would be like. Whereabouts in California did you film it? Primarily Southern California. Um, They sent a few units up to the Yukon for some aerial photography and background plates and things like that. But in terms of the actors, uh, we were in and around Los Angeles, which is so ironic because I've worked on so many movies that have filmed in Canada. And more often than not, those movies are set in the U.S. And then here's a movie that's largely (laughs) set in Canada. And of course, we film it in the U.S. Of course. Of course. It makes sense, right? The magic of movies, I guess. (laughs) Exactly. So how did you do that? Because you're trying to edit it, but you don't really have all of the footage to edit because of all of the CGI that had to be put in. So how? I mean, that had to be daunting. And and before we uh, started recording, you said literally you finished re-editing how long before the movie was released? (laughs) I, my last day on the film, I think, was three weeks before the, or maybe two weeks before the release. Um, so a film like this with so many visual effects, they really take the, up until the very last moment uh, available to finish the effects, you know. So all of the last minute effects and color tweaks and sound adjustments in the mix, all of that was being done uh, in the final weeks leading up to the release, which isn't that uncommon. No? But um, to answer your first question, yeah, to edit a movie where the main character uh, isn't there and and never speaks a word is, is a pretty daunting task. And so what we did was we had some really extensive planning. So typically as an editor, I don't start on a movie until usually right before they start filming sometimes even after they've filmed. But on this movie, I was actually a part of it for nearly a year before uh, photography began. And the reason was is, is that they knew Buck the dog was going to be CG, and they wanted to figure out how to plan each scene knowing that he wasn't going to be there all the day. 
so we did it's called previs um which is sort of like a moving storyboard version of the film if you imagine kind of a, a rudimentary almost video game like um, cartoonish version of the film we put that together first and then we went and filmed the movie so in any given scene as the footage was coming in i would get footage of harrison ford and i would not have footage of the dog but i what i did have was uh, footage we had created prior to the shoot that i could kind of use as a placeholder to create these scenes between harrison ford and the dog if that makes sense mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it does so you said it's not unusual to like finish a film two weeks before it's supposed to be released i mean are you are you bald <laughs> have you ripped out all of your hair at this point <laughs> it, can get, it can get pretty stressful it can oh, yeah, definitely yeah. get pretty stressful and what's so interesting now is you know it used to be that you had to strike a film print and that uh, the film prints had to be shipped all around the world well now largely what happens is they're all delivered digitally and the scary thing is with these uh digital versions of the film they call them dcps dcps can actually be updated remotely what that means is there may come a time when you could work on a film right up until the moment it's released that's a scary thought it's already stressful enough but uh, i think the technology is getting there to uh to actually do that hopefully for my own sanity people don't utilize that too much in the future (laughs) that's amazing that really is amazing so i I was gonna say what is your biggest challenge with this film but i think that you answered my question i think that probably had to be the biggest challenge i I did see uh, when harrison ford was out promoting the film you know and they showed a scene one of the initial scenes when he first meets bach and uh, and then you know i think it was on jimmy kimmel and he said "Ah, but there's no dog there there's no dog there so how is that for the actor too to be because the whole film is with him and Bach you know I mean you know it's 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 the movie about them and their relationship although there's other people in in this movie too but um, how difficult is it for the actor to do that and then for you to also still edit that performance too yeah so I had also worked on a couple of the Planet of the Apes movies and through working on those films, I had met some of the really talented performers, the motion capture actors that have done all the work for the Apes movies. Andy Serkis. One of them, Andy, Andy Serkis yes. being one of them, right. absolutely. Andy right. Serkis is a terrific actor. Another one, uh, a guy named Terry Notary, who was uh, really an expert in the movement and taught all the other actors, including Andy, uh, the movement of the Apes and so forth. Terry was a former Cirque du Soleil performer, and the producers of Call of the Wild gave him a call very early on, knowing that we would, as you say, we we need something, someone there on set for Harrison Ford to reference, to talk to. Um, we need we need some sort of reference on set for. Janusz, our cinematographer, to know how to frame up the shot. So Terry came in, and Terry, being the incredible, uh, gifted, and dedicated performer he was, essentially uh, took the place of a dog. (laughs) I know that sounds uh, strange, and it it is a little bizarre when Mm -hmm. you see it at first, but the, what it, what it, 
provides is invaluable because now Harrison has someone to play off of in any given scene. I mean, as opposed to trying to emote, you know, to a tennis ball or something like that. Exactly. Now, now at least Terry's there to ground the Buck's performance in, you know, at least something. At least Harrison can look into his eyes and have someone to speak to. So. I would get footage back of Terry as well, and we would sometimes uh, use that to create an initial edit before we had any of the buck animation back as well. Well, it's so important for an actor to have that acting partner that they can play with, you know, yeah. uh, and create with. I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, there's the script, and people follow the scripts, and sometimes it's to the T, and then other times it's... Uh, they allow the actor to improvise a little bit, actors to improvise a little bit, and uh, maybe create something that's a little even more magical than what was on the page. So in this particular instance, that didn't really happen, I guess, because Harrison didn't really have this person playing the dog. Uh, but, he, <laughs> but he probably had to stick to everything exactly the way it was, I would assume. Well, I'm I sure think the there was, was... Yeah. scene was too great. Still- still a little bit of discovery on set between the two of them um, they could figure out how to block out a particular scene and and I know Harrison said that over time he really developed a bond with Terry it's as if in some ways um, you know he saw through Terry and really felt like Terry was Buck so I think that was pretty magical as well. Well that is magical it is magical you're very interesting. So then, okay, so there was no snow when you were filming this. The mountains really weren't there. Were the trees there? Some, there? some of the trees were there, but not many. So how, how does that all work for you in, in when you're editing in, in, in this process? I mean, at what point do those things get added in? Is it after? I mean, yeah, tell me a little bit about that process. Sure, yeah. So... To add any, you know, extensive visual effects to any given scene or specific shot is just a ton of work. I mean, it takes an army of uh, really talented artists, you know, sometimes months to fill those frames. So in the meantime, uh, if we need a a temporary background put in or something just to give the, the audience a sense of the scope of the movie, we'll have somebody in the cutting room maybe crudely, uh, you know, pull up a stock footage background to throw in there. We might have a, a previs artist uh, who could help us uh, put some temporary looks in there, something like that. But, you know, I, I was, as you're talking, I'm imagining <laughs> the way I was sort of beating my head against the computer as we were putting the, the avalanche sequence together, which is a, a sequence in the middle of the movie when Buck uh, first takes the lead of the of the sled team, and they encounter an avalanche. And Buck has to sort of use his inner instincts to to try to outrun the avalanche and, and to duck into an ice cave and, and take them to safety. And you know that scene is uh, I'm really proud of it, but you know the only footage I got back for that scene was the two actors. Um, Omar and Kara standing on a sled uh, against a blue screen um, inside a stage, and the sled barely moved. (laughs) And so that's the only footage we got. And so to take that and from that try to build out this 
you know, exciting action sequence is a huge, huge challenge. That's where the planning and the time I spent with Chris the year prior to filming really came in handy, you know, because we had a very specific idea of what we wanted for that scene. And as the footage was coming in, I was able to use the blue screen elements we got, but also rely on a lot of the storyboards and the previs we did the year prior to lean on until the animators had a chance to, you know, many months later, fill in those individual shots. So then once the animators come in and the special effects team, um, then your pro- then the editing continues after that, or is it pre- yeah. pre-edited and then they just plug in? Uh, well, it's, it, it, is, it is pre-edited. It's, it's edited and we hand it to them and we say, here's what we want for each shot. Here's roughly how long we think each shot's going to be. But as they finish each shot or even do early versions of each shot, we start getting those back one by one. And uh, and now we're recutting the sequence based on the footage we're getting. So it's really a constant evolution. With a film like this, on a, maybe a regular live-action film, um, some scenes you'll do a first cut of, and and maybe you end up uh, you know not tweaking it too much. I mean, many scenes get re- re-edited many many times, but sometimes scenes you know really remain where they were when you first put them together. This film is not that way. I mean, any big visual effects film like this is, it just requires you to sort of edit and re-edit as the, as the footage evolves and the animators have done their work and you're getting those shots back sometimes, you know, six months later. Uh, again, that is just amazing, uh, this process that you go through. And, and you, as you said, you worked on this film a, a long time and you ended up having two children during the time... <laughs> I worked on, I had zero kids when I started the movie, and I now have two. Yeah, I worked on the movie two and a half years. It was by far the longest I've worked on a film before. Amazing, amazing. If you were just tuning in, you're listening to the Jam Price Show all about movies, and today my guest is award-winning editor David Hines, and we are just talking about the brand new Harrison Harrison Ford film, The Call of the Wild, and uh, the process of editing that film. When so for you, I mean, there's a lot of obviously you like working on um, big films that sort of have a lot of CGI because you said you worked on the Planet of the Apes. I don't know how many did you work on a number of them or I worked on uh, two. I worked on Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and then War for the Planet of the Apes. See, those are again big CGI films. So, uh, is there something, some way that is there a reason that you kind of gravitated towards these big films that have a lot of CGI in them, or is that just the way Hollywood is anymore? (laughs) (laughs) We don't have a choice. No, you know it's funny. It's it isn't something I set out to do necessarily. I also worked on the Jungle Book, by the way. Okay, Um, another one. (laughs) Yeah. So it's interesting. I, I think once you you get set on a certain track, you, you tend to get um, calls for those types of films. You know, people feel comfortable knowing that you've done something in, in the same vein before. Um, that being said, after this one, <laughs> I'm I'm very ready to to edit something that just has 
humans in it for a change. I think that'd be nice, a nice change of pace. Well, I, I was going to ask you because you had your award-winning film, American Folk. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Did you? Did you, you? You did more than edit on that, correct? Yeah, I wrote and directed and edited uh, American Folk, which was uh, a very small road trip movie we made um, with uh, non-actors and two musicians played the leads in that film. It's uh, it's about people coming together in the wake of 9-11. Uh, these two strangers get stranded in Los Angeles when all the planes are grounded on 9-11. They both need to get back to New York, so... They hop in a, this old van together, and they travel across the country in the days after 9-11. It was really just, I was feeling so much divisiveness in the country at, at that point, and I don't know that it's gotten much better since then, but I was really feeling like we could use a reminder of, of what it felt like in those days, where everyone felt so connected and really just were looking out for one another, so... It was a it was a total change of pace from from working on a big uh, action visual effects movie. You know, we made it uh, on a very modest budget and um, and actually drove across the country and filmed it ourselves. No visual effects in that one, um, and so that was a great experience. I did that uh, I did that shortly before uh, Call of the Wild started. So a nice sweet film that not only did you edit that you directed and wrote so what was the difference in that experience for you I mean how did again you're saying this is about this is character driven and you drove across the country literally to, to put this movie together uh, uh, how is that for you the whole, the whole process of deciding to write it and direct it and now edit it too it, it gave me a much much deeper appreciation and empathy for what directors go through and just how difficult it is. I always had appreciation for directors, great directors, great writer-directors, but I, I've had times uh, in my editing career sitting in the cutting room with the director, and, and the director would just be you know so frustrated and telling me stories about how they wanted to get a certain shot or they wanted to get a scene a certain way and they just couldn't do it because of the limitations on the day or schedule, whatever the case may be. And as an editor, never really having that experience myself, I, I couldn't fully empathize with them. And now having done it uh, on both sides, um, <laughs> sitting in the cutting room, thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to put this together? We didn't get the footage we needed and and being reminded of all the limitations on set. Um, yeah, it gave me a deeper, a profound sense of empathy for, for a director and everything they go through. But it, it was exciting and it was a great challenge for me and I think in the end it's, uh, it's made me a much better editor in a lot of ways. It's, it's just a deeper level of storytelling, which, uh, which really, at the end of the day, that's what an editor is anyway. That's right, because they say a movie is made or not in the editing room <laughs> that you can. Uh, it's the editor that has all the power uh, to even uh, elicit the performances that are you know that we see on on the screen, and that's that was it's always interesting that to to realize that you know it's the actors may yeah. be doing one thing, but then you're in the editing room cutting it in a certain way so the performance can appear different than perhaps it was filmed. So it, do you have plans to write again and uh, direct 
anymore, or was that for you enough? I uh, never say never. Uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm at home playing full time dad right now, which is great that my schedule worked out and I'm able to do this with with the newborn. Um, it definitely, once the kids go to bed, I'm kind of tinkering with a few ideas here and there, but. Uh, but I'm, you know, very much creatively fulfilled as an editor, and and really, ultimately, it's uh, I think my career is just going to come down to the, the right project at the right time, whether that's editing or directing. We'll see. But uh, I think I'll probably stay on the editing track for for quite a while. What made you decide to become an editor, David? To me, you know, okay. So I I always wanted to make movies. Always, always, ever since I was a little kid, uh, it was all I could think of to do. I mean, uh, there wasn't really, there weren't any filmmakers in my family. I grew up in the Midwest, you know, pretty far away from Hollywood. And the idea of pursuing a creative profession and a job in Hollywood was kind of a, a pipe dream. But, um, but I kept at it, and I went to film school, and, and one of the very first film classes I had we had a project where we were cutting film. We were actually splicing together film, and everyone got this same footage, uh, 16 millimeter footage of. It was just some really simple shots of some kids playing hide and seek, and this was our first class project. And um, there was no roadmap. There were no rules. You just got the you got the film, and you had to cut it together. And I just thought it was the greatest thing ever. I mean, and and I watched everybody's versions of the, of the kids playing hide-and-go-seek. There were no two versions were the same. I spoke to my teacher who had been teaching there for decades. She said she had never seen two versions exactly the same. And it just kind of dawned on me in that moment that editing was everything. I mean, it, it's it's everything. It's, you know, I, I always say that if you love a movie, you love the editing. You might not come out of the theater saying that, and you probably won't. It's kind of an invisible art in that way. But if you love a story and you're engaged in it and you're moved by it it's the editing that had a huge hand in that I, I think it's possible to have I don't think it's possible to have a great movie without great editing I agree I agree and it's funny it, well because of what I do in, in being in this industry you know when I watch a film uh, I definitely look at the editing of the movie. I've had lots of editors on the show throughout the years, and uh, sometimes I go, gosh, you know, they should have been edited better. It could have been edited better, you know, and you're sitting there and go, they didn't cut that quite right. You know, when you yeah. begin to look at it that way, I don't know if everybody else in the world looks at it that way, but I certainly yeah. do. And, uh, you know, sometimes movies would be better if they were edited a little bit better, too. You know, sure. I've seen even, sure. even movies that have been touted as being uh, wonderful films, sometimes they're just way too long, and yes. it would benefit from, I'm not going to mention anything right now, <laughs> but could benefit from, you know, editing, you know, and make it yeah. a tighter story, to make it a more compelling story. I think that's the magic of the editing, uh, is making, you know, making us feel something in whatever way it is whether it's just to get us to think a little deeper about a topic or you know cry or get angry or be scared or 
laugh a lot, whatever it's supposed to be doing, that the editing is really what makes it and breaks it. So I admire you for what you do because I, I, I think it's got to be a very difficult job sitting in that editing room trying to make the movie a great movie. It's, um, it's an absolute pleasure. I, I enjoy it immensely and it's one of the very few things in life I've found that I can just totally lose myself in. I look up at the clock and it's, you know, six o'clock at night and I realize, hey, I haven't eaten anything all day. I should probably eat something, you know. I just absolutely love it and uh, and I'm been so lucky to get to make movies for a living, to get to edit for a living. It's a, it's a great, great joy. It's a true passion. Well, David, it's been a pleasure having you on this show. I look forward to talking to you when you have your next movie out and uh, a little bit, go into it a little bit deeper and see what you decided to do next. So thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Jan. It's been a pleasure. Take care. You too. Thank you. You've been listening to The Jam Price Show all about movies, and now you can listen anywhere, anytime on the iHeart Podcast Network, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and on your smart TV. You can also go to thejampriceshow.com to listen to archived shows and the Price Movie Minute movie reviews. Thank you for listening. On Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1, streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio, Jan Price Talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show.